Welcome back to the Inspiring Competence Podcast. Now with more ums per minute using patented breath-wasting technologies. Um, How's everybody doing? I take insult um, with that. Oh, you match to take insult with that. Yeah, I gotta <laughs> say I appreciate that call out. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so here we are in the nation of Ustalov and the region of Verlich on your way to Gallowspire. How's everybody feeling? You know, ever since we uh, got rid of the um, the fishermen, I uh, I'm not feeling too good. I feel like <laughs> you see, like we... your your safety blanket. Yeah, really. Like think about how many times we walked into like the front door and immediately like somebody died or got attacked. <laughs> kind of you you, 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 like you need that, that NPC shield. <laughs> well, I mean, there's always Alexi. Hey. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, we're traveling through Verlich, uh, but first, uh, we're going to have ourselves a little flashback. The scene begins with the rhythmic gong of bells, all too familiar to us as the morning call of the Sancti Amidei, Vigil's landmark cathedral. We're in the streets of Vigil on a dull, foggy morning. Citizens walk through a busy market square, excitedly chatting with neighbors and vendors as they buy meat or produce. The clanging Sancti Amidei sits far in the background, out of focus, as we come to rest at two young women clutching heavy baskets of fruit and veggies. I had so much fun, it all feels like a blur to me. Her friend adjusts her basket on her hip. I didn't remember it ending so quickly when I was a kid. Can't wait for the next White Blade Festival. The women walk out of our line of sight, continuing their conversation, and the distant cathedral comes into focus. As it does, a single bell gong drones on, distorts, melts into the foggy air, and we see the church as we last saw it, half destroyed, its magnificent domed ceiling collapsed. More market-goers walk past us, oblivious to the grisly sight or the haunting, contorted call of its bells. These new people pass by as well, and we pull up, ever so slightly, and framed in the same shot as the crumbling cathedral, we can see an enormous, glowering skull hanging in the sky like the most ominous moon. Just as the people of Roslar's Coffer once found themselves in a dead mockery of their town on the Boneyard, we stand now in another such farce, as the former living of Vigil go about their day in what they believe to be an otherwise normal morning after the end of the Whiteblade Festival. We pull back down and come into view of a young man with thick blonde locks of hair. He faces away from us, and is the only person in sight not only acknowledging the skull moon of Grotus, but is craning his head back, staring up at it. The man turns away from the moon to face us, and we see the tired and unhinged eyes of our genus. Even as someone so willing to embrace chaos and confusion, our genus looks around with skepticism, especially at the passers-by who don't seem to notice anything strange. He turns to an older man passing by and stops him with a touch to the shoulder. No, no, this can't be right. Am I... am I dreaming? The man furrows his brow at our genus, pulling back slightly in concern. <laughs> no? Oh. Our genus tilts his head and thought for a moment, before an idea seems to come to him. Are you... The man takes a step back, mild anger mixing with his growing confusion. Of course not! But then why is there... why is the city in shambles... Why, why is there a 
giant skull in the sky. The man starts to shake. His anger and confusion seems to buckle under a wave of fear. <sighs> Nonsense! His entire image begins to twitch and contort, not unlike how we saw the fallen people of Roslar's coffer when brought before similar questions. <sighs> Everything is fine. Everything is normal. Arginus takes a step away from the man and looks around as nearby people begin to have similar fits. Within seconds, the entire market square rings with panicked shouts of denial as the crowd of fallen vigilites reel and chafe at their state of being. Arginus watches this spectacle in alarm, and as we fade out, the distant bells of the Sancta Iamade emit a fresh, strangled gong of despair. A horrified scream brings us back, and we see Arginus in a new part of the Ghost of Vigil. Though he walks among more lost souls, this development does seem to grab everyone's attention, and Arginus isn't the only one to hurry up the street to investigate. More screams join the first as we approach an intersection of streets, and the distressed calls grow louder. The screaming lessens before we reach the end of the block, and as Arginus rounds the corner, the last of them are snuffed out, and we behold a scene of brutality down the adjacent road. Bodies litter the street, mangled and torn apart. Instead of blood and gore, though, the bodies emit a glassy smoke that hangs low, pooling into the gutters. Arginus barely has time to register this before focusing on the perpetrator of this slaughter, and we see a tall, slender creature, humanoid in shape, with hideously long and pointed limbs, a cluster of short, stumpy tentacles sprouting from its back, and a coiling tail that might be twice as long as the creature is tall. The crouching creature is a dark blue with shifting hues of bright red throughout its sinister body, and atop its long serpentine neck sits a skeletal head like a fiendish eel, ending in two sets of dangerous-looking jaws. As we watch, the creature squats over a lost soul, tearing its body and stuffing globs of glassy smoke into its piranha-like mouth and chews with a skin-crawling crunch. Its unsettlingly long tail twitches as it feasts. As our genus takes a cautious step backwards, new screams of terror cry out behind him as other lost souls reach the intersection and behold this gruesome sight. The feasting creature's head snaps up. Its dead eyes seem to glisten as it sees fresh victims before it releases a screeching roar of pursuit. In response, our genus and the crowd of lost souls turns and runs, even as this terrifying predator gives chase. Our genus turns the corner he had just rounded and is greeted by sheer mayhem. A new crowd of lost souls converges with our genuses, running in the opposite direction. As he's violently shoved this way and that by the churning sea of panicking souls, he looks up and sees the pursuer of this new group something that could only be described as a man-sized tangle of flying intestines wrapped around a fanged maw. This newest horror swoops past our genus and chomps in half a fleeing soul less than a dozen feet from him. The swarm of lost souls redoubles in panic and confusion as the new group now comes face to face with the slender fiend and double back again as they try to find a safe route from the monsters. Arginus is knocked to the ground in the chaos and starts crawling to the edges of the street while panicking souls kick and trample him in their wild bid to escape danger. 
several times a set of legs right next to our genus leave the ground as their owners are yanked up by unseen assailants, only to be replaced by a stream of more glassy smoke falling back to the road. Our genus has nearly made it to the edge of the havoc when a sprinting pair of feet pass by and deliver a mighty, if accidental, kick squarely at our genus's face, and the roars and screams and other sounds of gruesome mutilation of the scene are replaced by a sharp ringing as we finally climb back up to our feet. We're at the edge of the road right next to a building, and a chance door sits just to our right. We follow our genus through it as the ringing persists. Inside, our genus attempts to shut the door, but it's forced open by several lost souls barreling their way inside. They force our genus deeper inside the dark building, and through the open doorway, we can see the two monsters outside looming over a carpet of corpses. They only just then seem to notice the other, and the ringing in our ears dies down in time to hear the two predators snarl at one another, greedily claiming the pile of victims as their own. Our genus turns and rushes through the room with the fleeing lost souls. We pass shelves and counters and recognize the vague layout of a shop of some kind. The small group hurries down a half flight of stairs and through another door, emerging back into the streets at the other end of the building. There is no relief from the horrors, and we come out just in time to witness a young woman get lifted off the ground by a scaly fiend with bat wings. The woman's shrill screams grow fainter as she's carried up and away before disappearing into the dark, foggy distance. Farther up the street, a buzzing drone can be heard as a gaunt, grasshopper-like monster bears down on a crowd of cowering lost souls who all scream with hands covering their ears. Down the other direction, more unspeakable horrors prowl the street, carrying helpless souls away or devouring them on the spot. Our genus retreats back into the building with the other surviving lost souls and shuts the door. Together, they all stand in silence, catching their breath. In their reprieve, our genus leans against the closed door. Oh, this is hell. What, what's going on? One of the lost souls, a young man with dark hair and pale skin, speaks up. The city's under attack. We have to find somewhere to hide until the military can gather and respond. The other lost souls agree anxiously, but our genus shakes his head. This isn't vigil. Surely you see it now. <laughs> the skull in the sky. The... No! The pale-skinned man takes an aggressive step toward our genus. This is Vigil. One of th Once the soldiers come and kill the monsters, everything will be okay again. The man begins to shake and contort, followed closely by the other lost souls. Together they begin babbling incoherently, their panic rising. Our genus still doesn't understand and backs away cautiously. A screeching roar brings our attention up the half-flight of stairs our genus descended previously, and we see through the still-open door the two monsters in the street over, the slender eel-headed one and the fanged intestines, mid-battle for dominance of their kills. The slender monster gains the upper hand with a furious flurry of attacks, forcing the fanged intestines to retreat directly through the open door, where it spots our genus and the panicking souls. As the flying intestines undulate through the air like an octopus through water, our genus turns to the door he'd been leaning on and opens it. He hurries through and slams it shut again. The last thing we see inside is the flying monster descending the half flight of stairs, closing in on the helpless, seizuring souls. Our genus turns around again at the unsafe street. 
Though the grasshopper fiend is still nearby, it remains focused on the cluster of helpless souls and has begun ripping their heads off at its gleeful leisure, letting glassy smoke pool out around it. The other direction, though, appears safe now. With one final glance at the horrific scene of beheading, Arginus begins cautiously making his way down the street, leaving a wake in the knee-deep haze of glassy smoke as he goes. The city has many hiding places, like the abandoned shop, and Arginus needs to find a new one if he is to survive this madness. As he rounds a corner, we begin to pull back, rising into the air. Our genus can no longer be seen, but the entirety of Vigil lies before us now, and we can see the full horrific scope of things. Horrified wails and terrifying roars call out from all corners of the city. Flying monsters descend into the streets, and the surrounding fog slowly thickens until Vigil is completely hidden from sight, and all we're left with is a glowering skull in the sky. Grotus the grim witness of the end of this once great city. And that brings us back to the hills of Verlich. Well, that was cheery. Yeah, perfect. So good. So let's talk about travel. Because right now you guys do not have a map of Ustalav or Verlich. Uh, but you know that you need to travel to Fort Faunum, Castle Faunum where the Knights of Ozum still have an outpost. There's supposedly maps and reports for you to gather to help you prepare for your the, the long stretch of your journey. Yeah, we just need to know where that is. I know Warazni kind of gave us directions. But... Mm-hmm. So here's what we got to do. Right now you guys are in a forested environment. And you're about to make a lengthy travel. So I need somebody, or anybody who wants to, to give me survival checks. Ooh, I am very bad at those. Damn it, Matt. I was just going to say, you had to roll another uh, skill monkey. You better have survival, because <laughs> I have a negative one in it. I have a negative two in it, so... Damn. No! Uh, Matt. Why, he, Matt. Alright, I mean, wait, wait, is it only one person, you said? Anybody who wants to. Oh, anybody who wants to, I mean, well, I guess I'll roll. Twelve. Does Elksy have survival? I was just looking that up, and, uh, lucky you guys, wow. Elksy does have survival. Like always. <laughs> the best of all of us. Yeah, well, uh, Randolph and Thelias are like the hardy boys out here. They got a 16 and a 19. Nice. Weren't the Hardy Boys detectives? Uh, yeah, but you get what I mean. Elksy got a 24. Uh, and Elksy just kind of uh, cranes her her neck as, uh, to like get as high a vantage point as she can from you know her spot on the ground and kind of like taking in the the elements, like the wind, and anything she might smell. And she says, "I think I can get us to Castle Farnham. Follow me." Good enough right for out. me. Uh, does anybody have anything noteworthy that they're doing while traveling? Uh, not dying is probably my first big thing that I'm doing. Well, is this okay. like over the course of days or what is this? I mean, while you're traveling, is are you casting any spells or are you like 
Right. What I'm asking is, how long is this travel? Do we have any expectation of the length of travel? Uh, Maybe a day or two. Oh, okay. It's not really easy for you guys to know, I guess. Okay. Um, I, I guess I was just looking for... You start traveling. Do you have anything specific in mind that your characters would be doing while you're traveling? Uh, uh, the Crimson Herald would cast Ant Hall on himself because he has it, and it would, it's a useful thing to have while traveling. And it's like a 22-hour duration, so I'm, I'm good for that. Our genus is probably a little bit full of himself. He's just like... <laughs> Did you see that back there? Arasni was totally hitting on me. <laughs> Elsie, Elsie kind of snaps her head back at that, and she says, "I beg your pardon. I did not get that impression." Oh, no, I kind of saw it. We all know when when ladies kick, they like somebody, right? <laughs> Why not me? Something tells me that you're not her type, her genus. You're nobody's type, and by that logic, our genus. I would be the one. Did you see that stare she gave me? Is this going to be the feud that me and uh, Uhtred have? <laughs> no, because well, Uhtred really <laughs> wants to win the hand of Erasny. It was me. Oh, she's just... I I don't... She she wouldn't even... Uh, forget it. She turns, turns back around in a huff. I pat our maniac friend on the back. Give him some solace that uh, maybe in his twisted mind... It might be right, although unlikely. Yes, yes. The, t- the day will come when I ask for her hand. There, there. Well, let's just hope that you don't lose it. Um, how does taking a 20 on a skill check work? You just, 20 is your score? Or is that 20 added to, like, your ranks? You treat the roll as if you rolled a natural 20. Okay. Uh, but you cannot be under any duress or pressure while you're doing so, and there are uh, many skills that you just straight up can't do that with. Uh huh. So, like, if my ride was a seven and I took a twenty, the res- uh, the total would be twenty-seven. Uh, yeah. Okay. I don't yeah. want to do it with ride. Can I do it with spellcraft? No. Uh, I'm pretty sure all intelligence skills are off the table with taking a 10 or a 20. Unless you have, like, an ability that specifically lets you do that, like bardic knowledge or something. Okay. Well, then I guess I'll just... What I want to do is make a spellcraft check on... I forget the name of it. The necklace that she gave us that was, like, the way to keep in contact with her. Ah, Soulminder. Soulminder. Oh. Yes. What I'm specifically trying to figure out is... We know it can work as a form of communication back and forth with her. Yes. She told us, like, if you need me, just, like, talk into it, and boom, I'll get it. Mm -hmm. I want to know, is this, like, a bug she planted on us that, like, any conversation we're having, even if it's not like she's directly hearing it, is it, is she, can she hear it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. I will let you roll spellcraft on that. I will preempt that with, while none of the items in the panoply of Arasni are artifacts, they are very uh, potent and unique magic items. So it's not going to be an easy DC to really diagnose the abilities of an item like that. And 
even if you do get it, it might be something that you'll have to, over time, kind of figure out. Okay. I got a 22 on my spellcraft. Okay. I got a 30, if that helps. I got a 26. Between the three of you, uh, you are fairly sure that as far as communicating with Arasni, uh, it is simply a matter of uh, holding the periapt uh, or wearing it and uh, focusing as a standard action to open up the communication. But you think it might take a little bit more uh, tinkering to uh, figure out like the full scope and limitations of the communication. Uh, you haven't ruled out that it's like whether or not it could be used as a bug, like maybe Arazni's listening to you right now and you just don't even know it. Or it's like a it's, scrying item. Yeah, or if it's like a like a mental like you get like a like a phone call in your head like you have a collect call from Arazni, will you accept? And you you're allowed to say no. You have you you're you're not sure yet. Alright. I was just I mean I, I think that's what Uchu would do with his time is he would keep tinkering and he wants to make sure that like she's not just listening in on everything we're saying. Yeah, totally. That's a that is a legit uh, concern that Uchu would probably have. Uh, in the meantime, like obviously we're not going to go over every conversation you guys have together, but is there anything specific that any of you? Or I don't know if anybody else has... Maybe Uhtred hasn't voiced that concern out loud just in case. So maybe Uhtred's the only person who has considered that. So I'll just ask, Nick, is there anything specific that Uhtred is pointedly not talking about? Or might, like, go out of his way to, like, redirect if it comes up in conversation? Yes. But I not necessarily think it's something that anyone else would bring up. It is something that probably Uchid's going to bring up to night at some point. Okay. So you started your journey mid-morning, I would say. Like, I would say, like, after you defeated those undead on the, the shore of the river. After you, like, first entered Verlich. It's probably mid-morning, maybe. Mid to late morning. And you've been... Walking for probably five or six hours now. Certainly, like you're you're able to continue, but uh, you uh, make some perception checks. Uh, twenty-eight, nineteen, and seventeen. Fifteen. Okay, I'll roll for Elksy. Damn, I got a nerf, Elksy. Thirty-four. Oh my god! Damn, girl. You've been trudging through these like dark sinister looking woods for several hours now probably stopping have stopped like once or twice to kind of take a quick rest refill your your water canteens etc and elsie stops and her her ears kind of flick to the side she says i hear someone after a few moments uh crimson herald you can you can hear something as well. You can you can hear some muffled voices. Uh, they sound loud and gruff, and you can also hear what sounds like the clearing of vegetation, like somebody bushwhacking through the woods. And it's 
coming your direction, but not you think directly at you. It sounds like a group of people moving through the, the forest that if you, like where you are right now, will probably see you, or if you take efforts to hide yourself, might just pass right past you. Uh, Crimson Herald is going to cast Invisibility on himself. And Uhtred will hit his ring. Well, hold on. Does Crimson Herald, like, <laughs> share any of this information? <laughs> or Alex just says, I hear something. Crimson Herald just goes invisible and doesn't say anything. Yeah, he just goes invisible. Cause okay. He's, there's uh, danger coming, so he's reacting in the way that he sees fit. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Elksy, after uh, another moment... And is much more sure that she doesn't like the sound of this uh, these approaching people. Turns and says, "I don't know who it is, but I think we should hide." Uh, what are Arginus and Randolph doing? I have my hands out in front of me, like I'm gonna cast a spell. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's not much preparation I could do at this point. Are you going to attempt to hide? Oh uh, yeah, I guess. Screw it. Okay. Um, I mean, Screw it, I'll I, go with the plan. I, I did not build the Arjunas to be stealthy, so uh, I'll stealth mode it. And, uh, yep. Ten. Hide behind a very thin tree. Randolph, what are you doing? So Randolph and Thelias look at each other like, where do we hide? And they're like quickly looking around for a spot that they can hide. And then Randolph says, wait a second, I know. And he recalls Thelias to his head. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes that now he has no place to hide. And he looks around where everyone else is. Uh, and he sees they're all invisible. So he casts invisibility. All right. Well, he would see that Arginus has like kind of stepped behind a tree that's not quite thick enough to fully hide him. Uh, yeah, uh, that's on our that's on Arginus. That man's crazy. What am I supposed to do? I guess I can... I can invisibility on him. Yeah, okay. I'll, that's, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll cast an invisibility on myself. And then when I see that our genus is decidedly not hiding, I'll go and, you know, I'll go up behind him and say, hey, turn invisible with me. And I'll cast invisible. All right. Uh, I'm going to roll stealth for Elksy. And I got a 30 on that because Elksy just keeps fucking <laughs> slam dunking this shit. Elksy's uh, the greatest. I mean, Elksy's an elk. Elk, elk are, I, I imagine, probably pretty good at hiding in the woods. At the uh, least very good at blending in in the woods. Yeah. All right, so you have all turned invisible. So we're going to add 40 to everybody's stealth checks. Our genius has already rolled stealth, so he's got a 50. I want everybody else to roll stealth, please. I thought it was 20, but I'll take 40. It's tw- I think it's 40 if you're standing still. It's 20 if you're moving. Okay. Well, then I got a 69. Nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, 47, but you got to give me that... Um, that tree bonus because I'm behind. I'm behind two things: a small tree and an invisible uh, Arginus. All right. <laughs> uh, that's not going to uh, help you any better than being invisible. So, uh, 47 it is, which still makes Elksy the uh, the lowest stealth roll. Um, but yeah, so there you are. There you all are standing around invisibly, or blending in. In Elksy's case. And the sounds of bushwhacking grow closer and closer. And you just kind of hear these voices growing louder and louder. And 
as I grow loud enough, uh, kind of starts to turn into this, uh, this chant, like a, like a marching chant. And after another couple minutes of this sound growing closer and closer, uh, several creatures uh, break through into the, uh, the trail that you're all kind of standing on the fringes of. And you see several undead creatures. Can I get two knowledge religion checks? Oh, you can indeed. That's a 39 and a 32. I rolled a well, natural damn. 20 for a 26 and a 17. <laughs> rolled a 27 and a 21. You all identify the uh, the three uh, similarly looking uh, undead. Uh, Randolph and Uhtred having uh, fought a couple of them not too long ago. Uh, Morgs a thick tangle of discolored entrails cling to these lurching skeletons' torsos, and the entrails wind upward to lull from their jaws like a clawed tongue. Uh, you remember fighting these creatures uh, at the same time as fighting Yosijuan in the bowels of La- uh, Vigil. I was hoping I'd see these guys again. You know, this type <laughs> of monster. They're always fun. Yep, yep. And uh, they seem to be uh, being led by another undead. Uh, This creature's pallid skin and dead, vacant eyes belie its healthy, powerful physique. It is clad in fearsome armor. Randolph does not know what kind of undead this is, but Uhtred and the Crimson Herald identify it as a Fext. Any good general forbids mention of Fects among his ranks, but such strictures do little to prevent soldiers from whispering tales of undying officers leading enemy units. These supernatural officers, often the targets of dozens of strikes and attempted assassinations over the course of their careers, never seem to fall to these attempts, and when they do, they return for the next clash unfazed. Utrid can ask me two questions about effects, and uh, Crimson Herald can ask three questions. Uh, first and foremost, uh, energy resistances. You know, they resist the first 10 points of any electricity and fire damage. Uh, well, shit. Are those your two energies? <laughs> yep. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, then uh, any uh, recovery abilities that it has? Uh, yes. You know that effects is unkillable when reduced to zero hit points by anything other than a glass weapon or an obsidian weapon, a Fext is not destroyed but instead becomes unconscious. Additionally, uh, 1d4 minutes after falling unconscious, a Fext gains fast healing 1. To be completely destroyed, a Fext must be reduced to zero hit points by a glass or obsidian weapon, or once it is rendered unconscious, its head must be severed and anointed with holy water. Once destroyed, a Fext dissolves into fine ash. Okie day. Uh, last, I guess, um, tell me, what what is its uh, worst save? It's tied between fortitude and reflex. Okay. No, you got a double whammy. Yeah. Yep. All right. How about DR? You know, they have DR 10 that is overcome by weapons that are either glass or obsidian. Surprising nobody. Let's go with one offensive ability. You know that their slam attacks uh, come with energy drain. Getting hit with a Fext slam drains 1d4 levels. 
Oh my, oh my god. god. Holy shit. Is drain permanent? They're temporary until you make a save the next day, and if you fail that right, save, right. then they become permanent. Well, shit, I'm glad we decided to hide. Uh, so, yes, this is what you see uh, emerging into uh, emerging onto the trail as you all remain hidden, and uh, the Fext looks around and he says, uh, I told you that we would find the trail eventually. It's the last time I let you idiots lead us. Now come, we need to catch up with the reinforcements. And they, uh, after a a few moments of reorienting themselves, uh, the group of undead uh, begin marching down the trail uh, opposite the direction that you were heading. Um, so like they're, ba- they're they're heading back the way we came. Yes. Well, good I thing don't... Rogar's gone. That <laughs> 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 was, was gonna say. Yeah, Rogar got replaced by uh, a religious fanatic in Crimson Herald, so... Well, uh, does anybody do anything for the next few minutes? Try not to crap myself. I really want to ambush these things. Gotta do Do what your character's gonna do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, as as they are passing by, um, Crimson Herald is going to cast... Uh, diminish resistance on the fext. Okay, you know that doing this will I know. Uh, break your invisibility. All right, Uchid's not gonna like this one bit. <laughs> <laughs> <He's good>. <laughs> <laughs> yep. To be fair, you guys did not discuss uh, <laughs> what you would do in such a situation. Yeah, I. Well, to be fair, I didn't think we needed to discuss like. We, I thought it was pretty obvious after having a personal sit-down with a Razni that our shit was bigger than a fucking reinforcement supply. <laughs> yeah. And the whole everyone hide thing wasn't like a, okay, everyone <laughs> yeah. hide, and then let's get them. <clears throat> yeah, well, that depends on who you ask. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. no. Crimson Herald is an ambush predator. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the effect needs to make a fortitude save. All right. I will let you reconsider the action that you've taken because the Crimson Herald would know that this is a universal defense of undead creatures. They are immune to any effect requiring a fortitude save that does not also affect objects. Okay, so it's a fourth save that targets a creature, which means they're immune to it. Correct. Okay, well then, yeah, he would not do that. That's shitty. Maybe he just stays hidden. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we don't worry about this one. (laughs) Yeah. What is he going to do, Matt? Mm. Getting away. All right, he'll let him walk by. All right. I like to picture him uh, gritting his invisible teeth, ready to ambush him, and then it's like, uh, maybe this doesn't work how I think it's gonna work. Calls himself off himself. <laughs> um, as one final little uh bit of flavor text, I'll let anybody who wants to give me a uh, knowledge history check. Twenty-three. Twenty-eight. Twelve. Okay. Uh, Crimson Herald and Randolph. You, you think you know who this undead is, or at least who he used to be, 
Uh, you've heard the story of Hunsen Barakam, although the leaders of Last Wall uh, prefer to take the party line that their troops are infallible paragons of good. In truth, bad apples do slip through and sometimes you become leaders within the nation's armies. Hunsen Barakam was one such renegade whose vile interrogation tactics and penchant for extreme discipline made him a feared commander, attracting to him the worst of Last Wall soldiers and savage mercenaries from around Avistan. Uh, when his superiors discovered he was plotting against them, Barakam was summarily executed. But that was exactly what he had hoped for, as he was destined to rise in undeath as a powerful fext. Now he leads a cager of morgues through Ustalavik villages and on country roads wreaking mayhem to sate his unquenchable bloodthirst. Wow, fuck this guy. Alright, well, yeah. Dick. If I'm gonna recognize him as this guy, then fuck yeah, I'm putting him down. Uh, wh- oh, shit. <laughs> like, like, that! <laughs> Alex, you know you can't do that. Um, Egg us on! The info is there, and it's interesting. <laughs> um... Yeah, when, you know he's not capable of not reading flavor text. When is this guy from? <laughs> it's like, my kink. <laughs> what what period is this guy from? He's from probably a century, maybe two in the past. Okay. Then in that case, he's going to drink a mutagen. All right. He's, he's going to drink a an extract of long arm. And then a mirror image, and then I'm going to attack. All right, so just going off of the marching order, I'm assuming Randolph was first, and then Uhtred, and then Arginus and Crimson Herald taking up the, the rear. Uh, actually, El- Elksy was in front, so... Yeah. Uh, I was Elksy thinking Uhtred would here. be kind of close to Elksy since he was on his phantom steed. They are probably going a similar speed. That's a good point, actually. Did you uh, dismiss your Phantom Steed, or did you cast another invisibility on your Phantom Steed? I didn't dismiss it, and uh, my invisibility was from the rank. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Your Phantom Steed would have been, like, fully visible unless you want to... Well, what did you get for your stealth? Yeah, like a 66. I mean, I I wasn't just sitting in the the trail. I mean, even if you're going to say, like, the... Also, it's a phantom, too. It's not like an actual, like, solid living horse. Since we've gotten this far, we'll just let it slide. But, yeah, in the in the future, uh, if you're going to, like, cast invisibility on yourself or some other buff on yourself that affects you tactilely, uh, just keep in mind that if you're riding your phantom steed, it does not extend to the steed. Yeah, you're telling me a phantom can't go invisible? I'm telling you that the Phantom Steed is capable of exactly what it says in the spell description. Okay, so considering uh, three rounds of Crimson Herald uh, prep went into them just marching the opposite direction. Uh, So, yeah, Crimson Herald, what are you going to do? So are they heading towards us, or is this after they've passed? They've passed. They're going the opposite direction uh, with uh, the Fext... Uh, a one uh, Hunsen Barakam uh, leading, so he's farthest away from you. The well, idea was I wasn't going to, to let them pass, but I will move to where I am within 30 feet of 
Hudson, and I'm going to shoot him with one of my bolts. Okay. Using you mean attack roll. Using arcane strike. That's a 25 against his touch. Uh, considering he's also flat-footed, yes, that definitely hits. Okay. And that is 16 fire damage and 4 acid. 16 fire and 4 acid. Okay, so that's 10 damage altogether after energy resistance. So everybody's staying pretty motionless, not wanting to move or breathe, just letting these guys go by. And all of a sudden, the Crimson Herald appears like adjacent almost to this outfit of undead and hurls a bolt of fire at the lead undead. What is this idiot doing? Everybody roll initiative. Our genus. Uh, for initiative, eight. Okay. Randolph. Also eight with a three kicker. I got two. Our genus. All right. And Crimson. 25. Well, well, well. Oh, almost forgot Elksy. I'm looking. <laughs> Natural one. That a girl. Well, she had to suck eventually. I was going to say, tell me she's still going before Randolph and Arginus. <laughs> no, almost <laughs> not. <laughs> All right, so Crimson Harold breaks his invisibility and, uh, and the tension uh, with his uh, bolt of fire and immediately gets to go first in the combat proper. All right, so then he is then following that up with an absolute barrage of firebolts at the same target at the the, the fext. All right, this is with two weapon fighting and rapid shot. All right, so he's going to be at a minus minus four four, um, okay. and arcane strike. And you're not using deadly aim because you're targeting touch AC, right? Correct. Okay. Oh my god. What the goddamn fuck? Also, how could you do that, Matt? What? (laughs) They're so bad. Yeah. They're so bad. So many. The only thing more impressive than the number of attacks is just how bad the attack rolls are. Uh, Uh, I see that first attack is a natural one. Yep, that first one's a natural one. So go ahead and give me a confirmation roll, please. Oh, jeez. It's a 14 to confirm against their flat-footed touch AC. Yeah, you are fortunate that this guy is also flat-footed. So fortunately for you, that does not confirm. But wow, you uh, you really uh, tiptoed around that. (laughs) All right, the party is perfectly safe. Everyone's invisible. They're walking by. (laughs) I know. Release invisibility and naturally, you know, stab myself in the face. All right. Well, the second like, one was a 15 to hit his flat-footed touch. That does hit. So that is uh, 15 fire and 6 acid. And then a 22 against his flat-footed touch. 22 hits. And that is 18 fire and 1 acid. Okay. And the last two attacks were both a 9 against his flat-footed touch AC. Those both go wide. I... Like two on both of those I would I would imagine like you know you hear the subtle creaks and moans of like um, of Crimson Herald slowly creeping in and then just boom 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 and then a simultaneous 
forehead slap by the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) And the forest around you starts burning down from all of uh, Crimson Herald's misses. (laughs) All right, yeah. uh, Up next is the morgues. And I have seven mirrors up right now, just so you're aware. (laughs) Great. Uh, At least you brought brought other people to help you. Yep. All right, so the morgues are going to move in, and... uh, the first one is going to provoke as it uh, runs across your flank to get like around the opposite side of you. Okay. Is that, is that something that you can take advantage of? Yes, it is. Uh, right. Let's see. That's, uh, that's a 25 against his touch. 25 hits. So that's uh, 8 fire damage to the morgue and 4 acid. All right. Did, I was like, did we know what kind of energy resistances a morgue has? Uh, we kind of skipped over asking about questions. Because uh, well, we already uh, identified them before, but Crimson Herald yeah. is a new one. And... Right. You know that they don't have any energy resistances. Okay. Let's make sure I'm not intentionally using something <laughs> ineffective yeah, against yeah. them. The second morgue is also going to provoke. I don't know if Crimson Herald has combat reflexes, uh, but it's going to uh, it's going to circle around to the Crimson Herald south as the Fex whirls around. Uh, and he says, who dares attack? I don't know who you are, but you picked a glorious day to die. <laughs> Get him! And the morgues start to uh, move in. Uh, so do you uh, have combat reflexes, Crimson Harrow? No, I do not. All right. And the third morgue is going to uh, move to your north. Uh, I'll give you three guesses where the Fex is going to move on his turn. <laughs> Uh, now the morgues are all going to make their attacks. <laughs> this is why I have mirrors. Yep. <laughs> it's gonna this take. It's gonna take everybody two turns to get to you. All right. So the first morgue is going to uh, lash out with a slam. That's a twenty-five to hit. That is a miss, but it takes a mirror. Okay. Second morgue reaches out with a slam. A 27 to hit. Also a miss, but again, takes a mirror. All right. Third morgue slam. Only a 20 to hit. That is a miss. 22 from flanking. That is a miss and no mirror. All right. It is now Uhtred's turn. You have just witnessed the Crimson Herald pulling a wicked Vipira and Rogyar all at once. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It is far more of a Rogyar move than a Vipira move. (laughs) Yeah, true. Yeah, you didn't try and bluff your way to start. I'm going to, or Uhtred's going to, cast his own mirror image. Okay. I have six mirrors. He's going to use a swift action to key in his scimitar. Uhtred will move, well, we'll have his mount move him up like 25, 30 feet. All right. Uh, just FYI, uh, you and your mount share a move action, and your mount gets its own standard. So if you wanted to, your mount could use its standard to also move. Yeah, I, well, he could get all the way to the effects with uh, just a move action. He's got 100, okay. 100 feet. Um, oh, the pr- problem is, yeah, I, I don't want to just <laughs> go riding up it. The max distance just to get there and stop right in front of his face. Like, also, <laughs> I'm in Richard's invisible, so it's just a phantom steed that came flying out of nowhere, looking like a fucking griffin. 
Like a snack? With a chicken head? Like a snack. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair enough. Up next, Mr. Hudson himself. And he's going to charge right at the Crimson Herald and swing his bastard sword. It's going to be a 27 to hit. That is a miss, but takes a mirror. All right. And now it's Randolph. Great. Perfect. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm going to stay invisible for as long as I can, but I'm going to use a double move to get over there. All right. Our genus. Do I really want to break invisibility right now, or do I want to mm-hmm. buff myself? Mm, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm this actually going to... negative levels. Remember that. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm going to hold my action until, um, uh, until Uhtred gets out in front of me. I- if he does... Uh, I might even follow his lead if he decides to stay like... Well, d- <laughs> no, no, let's see how this plays out. <laughs> All right, so Arginus is delaying until he sees Uhtred out in front of him. Yeah. You know that's just, right. you're just giving up a turn though, right? Because Uhtred's got one before you. Oh, well, are you well I mean, let's he, see how this plays out, Nick. He can delay until right after your next turn, and then he I mean, basically yeah, right, but he's giving up, up a whole if, turn uh, by doing that. And also, if he's delaying his entire turn, he doesn't need a specific trigger. He can just go whenever he wants to at the end of anybody's turn. Okay, it's still, no matter how you slice it, round one, he's doing nothing. So he's losing a whole round of being able to do something if he delays waiting for Uhtred specifically. I see what you're saying. Because Uhtred was, like, right before him, I guess. Right. Uh... So if you were going to buff yourself, like... Don't Dude, wait for yeah. Uhtred to buff yourself. Then in that case, I'm also going to cast Mirror Image on myself. And Anything I, else? I'm going to kind of scoot up just a little bit further in order to kind of like get a better view of everything. Okay. That is fine with Elksy, who's coming down from around town and charging that uh, westernmost morgue. It's a shame Elksy wasn't invisible because if we basically all waited around, if Axel just dogpiles the shit on the mat, if we were all invisible. We could just be like, well, all right. That solved itself. <laughs> <laughs> that solved yep. itself. Matt, see, see you next week. See your new character. character. Nonetheless, Elksy comes charging in and going for a gore on that westernmost morgue power attack. Natural 20. That's my health. Not, not even fucking that's kidding. That's not your girl. <laughs> and that's a 31 to confirm, uh, which absolutely confirms against this morgue. All right. Is this a, the gore is a piercing attack? Uh, yes. All right. This is called eye patch for you. <laughs> Triple damage. Holy shit. And 1d2 con drain and minus four on perception checks until healed. So it's basically immune to everything, but still triple damage. Yup. Wow, okay. The Toast Dicer fucking getting work in. <laughs> this is the same morgue, I believe, that took the attack of opportunity from Crimson Herald. It is indeed. All right. That's 47 damage. Ooh, Alex. God. Going by the flavor of that crit. Uh, yeah, Alexi's antlers just kind of like impale themselves through the skull of this morgue. Uh, morgue is definitely still up, 
but it is now Crimson Herald's turn, who is currently flanked in all four cardinal directions. <laughs> all right. Well, Crimson Herald is going to uh, full attack melee this time. So only two weapon fighting, not obviously not uh, rapid shot. Okay. All right. So full melee attack, arcane strike. Uh, I'm gonna start by finishing off this morgue that Elxie just completely bodied. All right. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> wow. Come on, Matt. That's that's me shit right there. Don't. No, we need you to be better. I need you to confirm that natural one, Matt. We yep, didn't lose first... a rogyar to get another Joe. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so the first attack is a natural one, but that's a 23 against his touch to confirm. Does not confirm the fumble. All right. Then how about an 18 against his touch? 18 hits. That is 17 fire damage and one acid. And then a 16 against his touch. 16 touches. So that's uh, 19 fire and six acid. All right. That finishes off the blue morgue. All right, and then Crimson Herald is going to five-foot step to stand over that morgue's body and turn and uh, reach out with his last attack at the Vexed. And that's a 21 against his touch AC. He's, oh, fucking long arm, right. (laughs) All right, Uh, what is the attack roll? 21 against his touch. 21 touches. So that is 15 fire and four acid. Uh, you're adding sneak attack to these damages? Oh, sorry, sorry, you're right. That last one didn't have sneak attack. Against the morgue it did, because I was flanking him. Yes, so, okay, okay. Sorry, so that's nine fire and four acid. Thank you. All right. So basically just acid damage. Yep. And that is the Crimson Herald's turn. All right, and now it is the morgue's turns, and they're going to five-foot step west and keep that flanking position and full attack. Here comes two slams from the north. 29 to hit. That hits. Roll for mirrors. I have four remaining. All right. I'm going to roll a d6. Ignore the six. One is Crimson Herald. That's a six. Two. Okay. All right. Slam number two. 36 to hit. That hits. Roll for mirrors. Three remaining. All right. One is Crimson Herald. Two. All right. Another mirror gone. Okay. And now... Uh, its third attack, it lashes out with its lulling tongue. 31 versus touch AC. Oh, that hits. Roll for mirrors. All right, ignore the four. One is Crimson Herald. Three. Yeah, this is like a, <laughs> a, a risk board. Yep. It's got an army of eight. You're just rolling, <laughs> decimating his army. All right, here comes two slams from the south. 29 to hit. That hits. One last mirror. All right, a one and a two is Crimson Herald. A three and a four is a mirror. Four. Mirrors are gone. <laughs> Matt is historically the luckiest son of a bitch when it comes to mirror images. Every time. All right, slam number two. Natural 20. Oh, fuck. Oh. <laughs> Toast. Saving it. Saving it for the end. That is a 25 to confirm does not confirm okay that's 14 damage okay and a 26 versus your cmd to grab you that does not grab damn all right well it's gonna follow up with that 
tongue lashing. 23 versus touch. That hits. Give me a fortitude save. Ooh, 27. Oh, you feel your muscles seize up in throes of paralysis, but you fight off the effect. Ooh. Matt also historically doesn't fail saving throws. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, Uhtred, it is your turn. In a probably admittedly impressive display, the Crimson Herald has just been dodging and avoiding these there, attacks. There is nothing impressive, let alone incredibly <laughs> impressive, about what he has done. Okay, fair enough. Regardless, uh, it appears that his luck has just about run out. Reckless, stupid, egotistical. Um, he has two what, of those things. That I'm pretty sure he was three of those. He's um, rather intelligent. He has yet to prove it. <laughs> what resistances <laughs> did we uh, know about the... Um, the vex. the vex, it resists the first 10 points of fire and electricity. Fire and electricity. Yep. Okay, so cold, though. But as an undead, it is immune to non-lethal. Good help there, man. Because I was, you knew I was about to <laughs> cast a frostbite. Okay, I'm going to, in that case, I'm going to cast a chill touch. And then my steed will use its standard action to bring me here. And I will deliver said chill touch through my scimitar. All right. Uh, uh, I'd love to say he's not flat-footed because a horse just galloped around and behind him, but he would not see the scimitar swing coming. I'm going to use an arcana point to add frost and frost, frost burst, icy burst, to my scimitar. Okay. It's basically more ice than steel at the moment. <laughs> okay, that's a crit threat on a 34. Yeah, that uh, threatens. And then that's a 42 to confirm. And that confirms. Oh, yeah. I'll take oh, a shit. crit card. Uh, this is called a severed hand. Uh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I believe Axel ruled that if I wanted to increase the multiplier, I had to do it before I heard the card's effect. Yep. Oh yeah, I, yes. I, I I gotta I gotta pull up my I gotta see how many points I have. I just used okay. one, but to do this, it's like I can do it just on a confirmation. It doesn't take yeah. action economy. Yeah, I think it just okay. it's a free action when you confirm. You just spend two arcana points and you double and you uh, you increase the multiplier. Yeah, this is uh, feels like a, a big big name guy. This is a named creature, so I'm gonna go ahead and spend the two arcana points to increase my crit multiplier. Alright, so Uhtred Scimitar is now times three. Yep. And let's see. You, you do have a spell on here too. So this, the slashing crit is called Severed Hand. Normal damage, which in this case is times two. And the target loses a hand and takes 1d3 con and strength drain and has a fortitude save to negate the ability damage. Okay. And the magic crit is called combustion, double damage, so times three here. And if it's a fire spell, the target catches fire, taking 2d6 fire damage per round until extinguished. Wow. I will uh, just throw it out there that, I mean, the con drain goes without saying. 
uh, that it would not apply. But I believe undead are immune to any ability drain whatsoever. Yes, yes, uh, they are. Also, how would that fortitude save work? Because that's not against an object, right? Right. Well, it's irrelevant because they'd be. It's a. It's immune right. to the ability drain altogether. But he does lose a hand. You do know, and he's wielding a sword and a shield. But you also know that it's got a slam attack. That's pretty nasty. Right. I think I'm going to take the times three, even though it's not a fire spell. Okay. All right. So just straight up times three damage. Yeah. Okay. Uh, go ahead and uh, do not give me any cold damage from that because uh, while they don't resist cold, they are immune to cold. That was that would have been its own question. Okay. I can uh, hear Alex grinning from here. The smoke right. bastard. That is not what's happening. I mean, I mean it is it is now? Th- but it, it was not before Matt said that. <laughs> and that's that immunity is not coming just from them it being undead. Looks like twenty three. Damage wise, yeah, I think you're right. It's just that sixteen, yeah, twenty three. It takes all of it. It bypasses all of its dr. Oh damn! I forgot about that. Yeah, part. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, didn't you? You. Nope. So yeah, you you have that feat. That's like a special says, undead yeah. crit, if, right? Yeah, it's uh, against undead and any undead and incorporeal creatures. They take my f- full damage from a successful crit. All right, and then he's undead, so he needs to make. He flees as if panic, which I me- believe is he drops anything he's holding for one d. Yeah. De- what? Gets a saving throw though, doesn't he? A successful will will save, um, and if if he fails that will save, then he run flees as panic for one d four rounds plus one round per caster level. All right, that's going to be a twenty nine will save uh, to resist yeah. fleeing. Yeah, I think it's a DC seventeen. So he he was aware of this horse coming up behind him, but and he was like kind of wary of it, but not really that invested in. Uh, what it was doing, and then Uhtred comes and just squishing and gets a gnarly crit, and he uh, he snarls as he staggers back from that unexpected attack. And he says, "Ah, there's more. You stay put. You'll have your turn." And he takes a five foot step towards the Crimson Herald, and he's gonna full attack. That is a thirty-nine to hit. Uh, yeah, that hits. All right, that is a critical threat, so I'm going to roll to confirm. 28. 28 confirms. Oh, damn. Oh, no. And this is the sword? Yeah. Holy fuck. <laughs> Say something else, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is called decapitation. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, no. Toast! <laughs> Double damage and death, negated by a fortitude no. save. No. <laughs> so right, I need gonna... a DC 28 fortitude save here. I'm going to oh, roll damage first. Can you even I'm, beat that? I I would need a net 20. I'm I, I'm I'm absolutely using my yeah. hero point for this. <laughs> no, save it. <laughs> <laughs> you might need it down the road. <laughs> All right, do you want me to roll damage first, or are you just going for it? I want to see if it matters. You want, so 
That's a 20. Holy shit. Damn it, Toast. I fucking told you this would happen. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm working on a new character. <laughs> also, I totally <laughs> feel like I, I saw this coming. I did so, not see this coming. Harley reels back from Uhtred's mighty crit says you wait right there you'll get your turn and true to his word steps up he like jukes to the left and the crimson herald braces but falls for the faint and with an expert twist and slash harlan decapitates the crimson herald and we'll see you next week. Oh my god, Alex. <laughs> On the Inspired Incompetence <laughs> Podcast. Oh, Don't lose your head. Wow. See ya. See ya. Oh my god, see ya.